Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, or I'm your co-host, Rachel. <laughs> Quiet, you. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the man who knows how to spend a, a Saturday, what to say, Sunday, Sunday morning, walking his dog, scaring the neighbors. It's a beautiful thing. DJ. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, this is like probably the most uh, struggle-laden intro we've had in a while. Yeah, I'm going to warn you, I'm so deeply, I'm like in the back of the struggle bus right now. I'm not even at the front of the struggle bus. I'm all the way at the back. I, I slept last night, but I feel like I didn't. So I feel like somewhat like almost high <laughs> oh, so we're in danger today it's what i'm saying i, I like actually I had muffin balls i've been having this problem with uh hero she's a. Uh... she's decided that like going to bath the bathroom at like three in the morning is the right time oh, and she can no. op- open her own kennel so she just opens her kennel and like jumps in my face at three in the morning to take her oh, out Oh no and i have to abide because otherwise she'll find a spot in the house so yeah it's like, well, you're doing the right thing, but it really sucks that you're elderly and you got to go to the bathroom at like three in the morning. And I guess you can't just have a doggy door, right? Because no. they're, cause they're like little pups and they can't Yeah, they can't danger. push through anything. We'd have to get like one of those collars that detects them and like opens up the flap and then get them to be okay with it. And just knowing your luck, like you're one of those people that like draws chaos to you. you yeah. Know, like, <laughs> no. And like you would wake up and there would be a mountain lion like, like, sitting on your couch watching tv yeah five cats <laughs> just move into the house and like 100 you're the only person i know who has had their truck totaled by a pack of dogs <laughs> so i would say probably sealing all windows and entrances to your home after after nightfall is probably the best move yeah i think that that is correct that is the correct choice so yeah my sleeping patterns have been greatly adjusted and then one of our dogs now um, just got onto heart medication. So, oh. yeah. Gizmo? Yeah, his, uh, his little heart is swollen and his valves aren't working as good. So now oh, we got we got to give him pills at 8 and 8 every day so that he can, uh, he can uh, keep the water out of his lungs. Oh, God. DJ, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. Elderly pets are it's – it's a rough road. I mean, it's, like, worth it and we love our pets, but, like – when it gets to that point where you're just like, oh, God, and now I, I, I'm not just the guardian. I am now the nurse. I, am yeah, the, I love these guys. <laughs> and it's a lot of work. But then I'm like, man, I don't have kids. And that's even more work. So. Right. <laughs> right. Where do I uh, go complaining? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, whatever. Anyway. So like we said, this might be a weird show today because we're both like in weird moods. We're also doing it at like a weird time. It's a weekend in the middle of the day. These, it, Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what's happening? So, all right. Let's talk about what we're going to attempt to cover on this episode. <laughs> we're going to start the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala, Part 1, Todash, Chapter 4, Palaver, which is very appropriately named and then we'll close up the show with our listener question um but before we do any of that as we do and i can't wait to see where this goes dj what is our spoiler policy on this here podcast like a rust or a rusty flying across your grave we will not cross <laughs> the line into the spoiler zone so rest assured that we will give you a caw whenever the cast of caw is ready to cross over <laughs> well played <laughs> well played all right awesome so let's get into this uh 
DJ, where did we leave off? Last see uh, our, our quartet. So we uh we, we got that really gruesome swamp scene um where uh, she's basically like squishing frogs and eating them and swimming around naked in the swamp mm-hmm. and Roland discovers this and then they come back to the camp and so Roland knows that both Jake and Eddie went toe dash and that there is a new uh me uh is it Mia? Is that mm-hmm. Mia living inside of Odetta and and Susanna and you know ever her personality just keeps getting broader yep. and broader. It's um, a party, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. Jake and Eddie wake up. They're like, "Hey, man, we had some weird dreams." And Roland's like, "Those weren't dreams, guys." And they want to like launch right into the story about what happened to him. But Roland's like, "Hold up, let's." Uh, Let's make sure Susanna's up so we can kind of tell everybody at the same time and we don't have to backtrack on anything. And so as Susanna's waking up, Roland is like, is this going to be Susanna or is this going to be Mia? And then he realizes it's Susanna. Susanna, of course, is like complaining about being sore and sleeping in the forest and having aches and pains. And Roland is like secretly in his mind thinking like – yeah, yeah, you got aches and pains, girl, but those are from swimming around in the marsh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, Roland does not basically share this information with Jake and Eddie. He lets Susanna kind of, like, play the, well, actually, like, fool herself, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, it's clear that Susanna is totally unaware of Mia. It is very much a situation like we had with Detta and Odetta, where she has successfully like hidden that altar yeah yeah and so basically uh roland knows mia's in there but like he's kind of watching for her and not seeing it right now but uh suzanne actually has some like interesting jokes about apparently taking sleep medication (laughs) to go go to sleep and uh, yeah and it's so it's just kind of a weird moment where roland is keeping his own um, console and the, the, everybody else is kind of not knowing what Roland knows, which is weird because in previous contact groupings, we've sort of been in this moment where everybody's all always on the same page. Right. And th- that kind of tells you that they're, they're sort of like drifting apart a little bit. Yep. Yep. I'm so that that's like one of the kind of overall themes of this chapter, I think, because there's all of these little moments where it's clear that they're sharing Kef, but Roland is still able, he's enough pulled away from all of these people that he is able to like keep his own counsel. And throughout this chapter, I think we see examples of how there is still this dividing line between him and the rest of his content. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then basically uh, the other little uh, nugget here that we we want to talk about is um, – shoot, what was it? I already forgot. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, so when they realize it's not a, a dream, like uh, Eddie's like, well, then we got some trouble. <laughs> and like Jake's like, yeah, we got some trouble rolling. And like they're like, how much? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, well, we better better get started with our story. Right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that it comes up in this chapter that we should probably touch on is that we get a little more information about the Manny. Um, oh, yeah, when Roland is explaining what Toe Dash is, he, explained, he, he talks about how the Manny and how they use different 
instruments in order to find places where it is more um, advantageous in terms of being able to go toe dash. And plum I just bobs and magnets. Yes, plum bobs and magnets. And one of the things that I was thinking about when they were talking about this is I, it's just interesting to remember that Elder Jonas hung out with these people mm-hmm. and like a lot of uh, the things that he learned from them shaped his worldview. I don't know what that what that says, but it's just as we learn more about them, I just keep I, I'm going to be thinking about that. Um I do think it's also very convenient that our <laughs> that our Cotet's path has crossed, you know, right in the right place, right at the right time for them to be at like peak toe dash space, um, which all sounds very nineteen to me. Just saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and then there's another little character moment that I want to touch on here, and uh, I pulled this quote. But I've got some ideas, Eddie went on, and if I'm right, we've got a problem, a big one. He swallowed hard, Jake touched his hand and the gunslinger was concerned to see how quickly and firmly Eddie took uh, the boy's fingers. Roland reached out to, and drew Susanna's hand into his own. He had a brief vision of that hand seizing a frog and squeezing the guts out of it. He put it out of his mind. The woman who had done that was not here now. And so I, why I wanted to talk about that a little bit is that we see that Jake is reaching out and receiving comfort from Eddie, which does a couple of things. It, it underlines the seriousness of the problem that they're about to spell out for mm-hmm. Roland and Susanna. But also you see that divide that you were talking about where Roland attempts to do the same thing by reaching out to Susanna, but instead all he can think about is Mia. And I do think that this is sort of that first example of where we see that this chapter is really drawing that line between Roland and the rest of his quartet. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh- and also the closeness of Jake and Eddie. Yep. And they went toe dash, but Roland didn't go toe dash with them. No, he did not. He was the only person that did not have like some kind of vision quest that night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one I wanted to ask you about, and this is kind of a weird aside, but when when they were describing the Manny and the plum bobs and the magnets, um, mm-hmm. they they mentioned East Village, which you know, like I kind of get, and then like they mentioned somewhere else, and then Jake was like, "Sounds kind of a Hawaiian," and I didn't understand that joke at all okay so this is interesting actually i'm glad you brought this up i wasn't sure where to talk about this but like remember i was talking about like sharing kef Mm -hmm. so that was something that both jake and Susanna thought when they heard the thinny okay but nobody said it out loud and then this is like a reference. But they back all laughed so it's kind of like evidence of them sharing each other's thoughts oh it's an inside joke that they had that nobody said out loud okay because uh, i was like that that has significance i just don't know what significance because like, that's why? when they're talking about like how um i mean I, I think it might actually technically be in this next section but it doesn't matter but it, they're talking about how all of the the doors that they've come across whether it's toe dash or the ball or um the doors on the beach like how they're all kind of interconnected and the mm-hmm. thinnies, all that kind of stuff is interconnected. And that's when he, he thinks about, like, sounds Hawaiian. And everyone's like, ha, 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 even though that was all internal dialogue. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So uh, basically we get the Manny. We get the discussion about them going toe dash. The, the warning is left is the cliffhanger. And we move on to the next chapter where basically Jake and Eddie explain what happened in New York. There's a lot of name stuff in this, but but they they recount what we covered in the last chapter, yeah, uh, pretty much verbatim. But they zoom in on a few things, and there's also another sign here where the gang is sort of like breaking apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. Both Eddie and Jake 
are nervous that they're not going to quite explain the situation or the things they saw perfectly to Roland Mm -hmm. and actually ask for Roland to hypnotize him. Mm -hmm. But like Roland's like, no, just give me the gist of it. If we need to, we'll do that. But otherwise that's fine. (laughs) Don't worry Mm -hmm. about it. And, And that's like a strange moment between them because like they're sort of asking for this help from Roland and Roland's sort of pulling back from providing it to him. Right. Yeah, um, I do think that there is a tension here, especially that's a really good example. The one that stood out to me is the way he keeps responding to 19, mm-hmm. that he like actually is getting like he Irritated. went from being dismissive to actually becoming aggressive. And we're starting to see some of that friction in the content that we did not see in the last book um, returning, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And so basically, as they're explaining some of these more intricate details, we get into naming and uh, the sign that was in front of the uh, bookstore for the mind or the uh, restaurant for the mind, excuse me. And and like the then the name on the book and the Eddie and Jake keep adding up the numbers and the number of letters in the name or 19. Mm-hmm. We also kind of get this w- weird aside about the letter Y in lowercase, mm-hmm. um, which apparently in to Roland means like um, – some knighting i think or some sort some of honorific like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and so that's an interesting one i would have not <laughs> caught and then we also kind of get a discussion on naming conventions in general and how names get changed from one place to the other mm-hmm. and then there's this weird joke where like they're basically like you know from uh just like jacob the source of jacob and some of these other names and then like the last name is beryl evans <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, how did that happen? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we, that with the um, Claudia E. Inez, the, the whole E thing, how it has, like, connections to naming conventions and mages. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of has one foot in both worlds. It's yeah. interesting. I don't know what that means, but it definitely stood out to me that they that Roland connected it specifically to something cultural that he was familiar with. Yeah. And um, we also get a little like um kind of language hint here that uh they're Spanish sourced names. Hmm. Uh she mentions you know, like Roland in your your language, there's a lot of like Spanish style words. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and it's like, oh, okay. So like now we kind of have a more uh, strong origin of like the word structure that we've gotten from Magus over the last, you know, however many books. Right. I mean, that's the thing is it's, it was so influenced by like, yeah, like by Spanish language and also sort of like Southwestern culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And then the other one was uh, um, the guy that runs the bookstore's last name is Torin. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's Dutch for tower. They suspect it is. I think it is. I think I looked it up last time, and it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So they basically kind of describe this stuff. That's interesting. Um. And then they actually start to talk about the uh, um contract that they saw. Yeah. And this contract is kind of interesting because it's not a right to purchase. It's a right. option to basically make sure that the person doesn't sell to anybody else or get any liens on the property and that they pay their taxes 
and right. that they'll come back in X number of years. And we also start to like kind of find out a little bit about what Susan knows about this sort of like high finance and yeah. what Jake knows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because they both, it kind of speaks to, and this is a more subtle coincidence that these people that were drawn, like we, there were obvious reasons why they were drawn that are more like psychological and more about, uh, character and Roland and reflections of like needs that Roland has. But mm-hmm. here we're seeing a new whole new way of why they were the people who were drawn and they have to do with finance. And, yeah. And that was business weird, right? knowledge. It's, it's just interesting. This is a, this is um I'm not saying it's like this, but it gets a little phantom menacey here where I'm like, wait, are we, we're getting into like bureaucracy with this, yeah, this right. strange direction. <laughs> Yeah, I was not expecting him to like just open up a sales contract and start talking about it. Does there a topping clause in this contract? I was like, like, no, I got to Google topping clauses. What the hell? (laughs) Is that a legit real thing? I mean, I know that there's like a a clause for that sort of purchase. I just didn't know it was called the topping clause. So the topping clause basically – so they this contract allows them to have right of first purchase. So like if this – when this person's ready to sell, they can't sell it to someone else until they have gone to Sombra and let – Sombra make an offer. What a topping clause is, is it means that after Sombra makes its um makes its offer. bid, yeah, its offer, they can if they if they reject it, they can go to whoever they want. But a topping clause would make it so that if they found another offer they that they preferred, they would have to go back to Sombra and allow Sombra have the opportunity to meet or top yep. that purchase price or or that offer or whatever. And so and it's essentially, this is just a really bad contract. And it shows it, it could either and, and I think what they they get at here is that yes, it's a bad contract. It could it could get somebody who was maybe very reticent to put something down on paper to go for it because the way they see it, there's like no from that perspective, there's no downside. Like they're gonna get the hundred thousand dollars, but they also don't have to sell it to them ever. And they don't have to and they can still sell it to whoever they want, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. Um but like they, you know, they talk about what that it. Uh, you could think, oh, Sombra's bad at business, but in reality, what it is is they're very savvy because they're able to kind of like get around this person's sort of subconscious defenses and get a foot in the door so that they can start really strong arming him. Yeah, and uh, they got a delay too on him eventually selling this off to someone else. So mm-hmm. that delay is like a time frame. There was also yeah. a weird thing where they were allowed advertisement rights. Yeah, I don't know what property. that's about. And, you know, that kind of basically harkens back to when Jake uh, saw the rose and he saw the condo sign going up and the condo sign was like Turtle, you know, Turtle Bay or something like that. And uh, and then we get this weird bit where like we're really pointing at the fact that everybody's from different times because Susanna's like, well, what's a condo? Is that some sort of spice rack? (laughs) <laughs> and like and they have to explain to her that it's like a cooperative owned building with like the little tenants in each one she's like you mean like an apartment complex <laughs> yeah time is another major theme that runs throughout this chapter i think this book is a lot about time right whether mm-hmm. it's like traveling through time or feeling that time is short and uh, it, I, I think it serves a narrative purpose and that it like is setting up this heist that we're going to be getting into a minute here in a minute here uh, across timelines and universes. But I also think on a meta level um, or I guess a macro level, I don't know, whichever one it is, um, <laughs> it, it also is kind of, I think, 
any insight into King's sort of mind at this time. Like, remember, this is the book he wrote after getting hit by that van, right? So he's had this massive brush with death. And I feel like as a person, when you go through something like that, it changes your perspective of time. Time feels much shorter. It feels more dear, more uh, fleeting. And, and I think that that is really showing up in this book, in the pace that he's setting with this book, in the way that there is now an agenda and we are working towards that in, uh, more so than we ever have in the previous four, bo- four books, five books. Um, <laughs> what book are we on? Four books. Previous I know I stalled two on that one because I was like, well, four <laughs> or five? I don't want to say the wrong number. Okay. Which I think makes sense as like a person, but also I think there are some – meta things that are happening right here that are laying groundwork for things as well yeah definitely um the other thing i want to talk about before we move forward oh yeah, one other it. quick little note here because you know king loves to sprinkle in literary references right mm-hmm. and i think we get a, a pretty big one here when dickens comes up and susanna says like in text and is like i feel like somewhat the voice of king himself that he is like the greatest novelist that ever who's ever written um but also like one of the big criticisms he gets as a writer is all of the coincidences and like king knows that this book is going to be all about um convenient coincidences and so he is leaning in he's already getting his zings in about like you know i'm the greatest writer ever <laughs> Lots well of just also here. like you know what if your criticism is going to be that this book is full of of too many coincidences well too bad that's what i'm doing i'm leaning in and i am introducing the concept of ka and ka with ka there is no such thing as a convenient coincidence it's all just fate deal with it like in a sense ka he's making it clear is basically writer's prerogative uh, (laughs) which again goes back to this idea of meta commentary that i think you know what i'm getting at yeah listener you know where i'm going with this but i think he's saying right here like this is this is writer's prerogative. Well, and to top that off, Roland, like after she explains the Dickinson thing, is like then that's some your professor who's complained about that style of writing has never heard a caw. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like exactly. Yep, I'm Stephen King. I just put a pin in it. That's how it is. Yep. Deal with it. I wrote it. I, this is my universe that I created. So deal with it. Like, and I think there, I have been up until this point really engaging with the concept of Ka as like this very metaphysical thing. And here he's just saying, like, no, I wrote it. I get to decide. There's no such thing as coincidences. It's all Ka, which I thought was an interesting kind of thing to seed in here. <laughs> So we we get some more um, kind of conversation about the contract and the names on the contract, and the guys keep going through and figuring out like, oh yeah, with all of those letters, that's nineteen, um, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 so on and so forth, and to the point where um, basically Eddie and Jake are you know using sticks that have you know little burnt ends to write in the dirt mm-hmm. and count the number of letters out. And this is where, like, Roland really starts to just get annoyed with the whole business. Um, And then as they're going through and, like, pointing out 19 and pointing out 19, uh, and they're talking about the sign in Turtle Bay, well, they're on the path of the beam towards what they perceive as being the turtle on the other side. Mm -hmm. So the name basically kind of circles around the property, and the property – Jake mentions might actually be needed to be owned by them for them to actually damage or destroy the rose. 
Yeah. And so they need to actually get their hands on the property itself. Mm-hmm. We also uh, kind of learn or think about a little bit of the history of uh, Calvin Tower, who we know already changed his name. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dutch basically took over uh, New York or owned New York apparently for the longest time. Yeah. Which, if you look at the naming conventions for a lot of of New York boroughs, it. Makes a lot of sense. It tracks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, weren't very creative with their naming of said places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically Jake sort of like paints this picture of Calvin Tower as a guy from like a long line of of Dutch people who had probably owned a lot of New York and then like slowly worked his way backwards towards selling stuff off. And he points out one comment that one of the thugs made when they were – there with that contract um talking to tower and mm-hmm. and that was that uh, uh um this isn't a business this is just a hole you pour money into yep and Much like, like with Susanna and Jake the you you were, were understanding having further understanding of why Eddie was was drawn and in this case it's his understanding of obsession it's his a, a understanding of addiction yep. and his able ability to kind of pull together through both the touch which hello jake apparently is not the only one with the touch Mm -hmm. and his own just sort of like his psychology to understand and give us this exposition of like what who who tower is and and what is actually happening here now i've bounced around a little bit between two three and four um so i don't know if there's anything you want to circle back on before i keep going um let's see we talked about we've talked about the guardian of the tower which is an interesting and new concept which apparently Torin. i think we can feel a, a cert like a pretty high degree of of confidence in the interpretations that both jake and eddie lay out mm-hmm. in this section so that's an interesting new concept of that of how this world works and i do think in general this book king is doing a lot of housekeeping like in terms of world building with telling us about the doors talking about the guardian like everything has always been very amorphous into this up until this point about how this world works and it's led to a lot of like fun conjecture between the two of us over the last four books but now he's like being much more definitive in the way that he's talking about it and and i think the guardian is a a cool addition and also another example of him doing that uh the other thing that we get a little moment in this section uh is about oi and about how he is still fairly mysterious we don't actually know how level like high his intellect is but i do think we're meant to assume that he's he's actually very smart and he is actually communicating that yes he does do some mimicking but there is um like you know original thought in the way that he's talking as well and it's just a reminder that he's there and i love him and it's making me nervous (laughs) (laughs) i think the statement was that he would go weeks at a time mimicking and then every so often would actually say something that added or was conjectured to the conversation Mm -hmm. and which is you know that it's like oh yeah this guy just goes along until he sees something that he wants to say something about and then he actually says it yeah and Um, also he is part of the quartet don't count him out there is one other little tiny thing in here and it is that trump that uh king has been shading trump from the jump like before it was cool he was already on (laughs) i uh, so i i did want to ask you about that um but before i do let's let's circle back around and talk about uh calvin tower so okay the idea here is basically um they describe a man who came from like a very wealthy family 
and a property owner, and he's the last in his line, sort of like Roland. So there's like a almost a guardian, faux guardian um, analog to the two of them, and that he recognizes that that law is important mm-hmm. and vaguely knows that it's he's a protector of it um and also wants to live this lifestyle of having his bookstore that doesn't make any money hoping that someday uh you know a bookstore in new york might become trendy and like it'll turn things around but it just never does so he's sold off property after property after property to like pay his mortgage you know pay his credit card bills his doctors and so on Mm -hmm. and now he finds himself in this place where like the last thing he needs to sell off is this or the last thing he really has of value to sell off is this property right and that's why he let him tear down his his store there you know and Mm -hmm. and that's like a sad moment where it's like he knows this is all he has left and if he doesn't sell this he's not gonna be able to maintain his lifestyle and they actually sort of like talk about the cost of a piece of property in manhattan and like Susan in her day was like, oh, yeah, that was a that was probably like a million dollars. And by, you know, Eddie's time, that's like at least five or six million dollars. And then we get to the Trump comment and they're like, yeah, we've seen this before um, from from shirt sleeves to shirt shirt sleeves in one generation in in three three generations, I think. Right. Wasn't it? Was it three generations? Yeah, maybe. But the quite I wanted to ask you about that because they mentioned Donald Trump and like uh basically susan doesn't know who they're talking about because um she you know he was only a kid back then but are they saying that like his family came up through the ranks as like a hard working and like earned a lot of money and then it's gonna like just piddle away in the last generation essentially okay (laughs) yeah because i was trying i don't not familiar with the shirt sleeves the shirt sleeves but i thought maybe it was like one person rolls up their shirt sleeves and works i mean i think it's talking about amassing a fortune and losing a fortune right okay okay. like going from working class to working class again ah all right all right that makes sense so like no matter how much you gather up like the next generation is gonna burn it right right yeah essentially Okay, okay. Yep, three generations. You were correct. Okay. I paid a little attention to this because there's so much palather. There is a lot. <laughs> this, Like I said, this is a appropriately named chapter because it is just conversation. I mean, I found it to be compelling still. But... Oh, yeah, it's really good. It's just hard to talk about in mm-hmm. a meaningful way You're because we're doing basically – Great. I feel like I need to like bullet point this because it's like – and then they said this. And then they said this. Um. Okay, so on that same thread, I do need to circle back around and talk about one other thing, and that is the analog to the big coffin hunters. So uh, we have mm-hmm. these thugs with a contract that basically doesn't really mean anything other than to like delay the inevitable of Tower eventually selling off this property. Um. And so you know we have Balazar and his guys like coming in to like – uh, uh, hassle this guy well those guys don't get called out lightly and they're basically like eddie's version eddie's re uh, time frame version of a big coffin hunter mm-hmm. and you know we saw that previously where they were planning plans on top of plans to try and like sneak around and get this thing done and that sounds like what is going on here as well i mean i think that they're just yeah they're like the the dark mirror image of what we're going to find out more about the gunslingers are right that they're Mm -hmm. they're hired guns in order to like um do something bad right whereas 
the gunslingers, you can't hire them, you can't pay them, and they can only do things that are in keeping with the agenda of the white. And so after they talk about this contract and the big coffin hunters, Susan just like pipes in and is like, well, why don't we just buy it? Right. Let's <laughs> just throw some money at this problem. That's always my move. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because at that moment, you you realize that one person in this group knows like substantial wealth and the other folks do not. <laughs> yeah, 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 it, yeah. It's sort of like, have you ever had a friend out there that you're like, yeah, if you were rich, dream big, what would you do? And they're like, oh, I'd buy an RV and drive around. And it's like, you can't even think like a rich person. Right. The answer is yacht. <laughs> if, yep. if yacht is not does not come up, then you don't know how to think like a rich person. <laughs> <laughs> yacht and burying your money in fine art and like yeah. custom warehouses that are outside of the territory yes. of any country. You need to amass the like Raiders of the Lost Ark wa- warehouse <laughs> <laughs> if you were rich. <laughs> Sorry, I watched Raiders of the Last Ark last night, so that's on my brain. Oh, no, that's actually a good analog. <laughs> okay. Like it's, it's super sad when you find out how many of these wonderful pieces of art just that used to away. circulate through museums are just tucked mm-hmm. away in these like massive vault warehouses only to be brought out for like a Sothersby's, you know, auction and then immediately like packed back packed away, away into a private collection. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, it's so crazy how we put value on things like the value of art is to be looked at. You know what I mean? So it's just. But now we've changed that to you can't look at me at all. Right. Now the value is not getting to look at art. <laughs> like it's very weird. It's very. We are a weird species, humankind. Oh. I mean, let's not even start with NFTs. Oh, man. I know. NFTs are wild. I'm also like, do I need to know more about this? Because I don't want to miss the the next Bitcoin thing you know like I, maybe, I uh, maybe that's our coin and now i'm like god damn it <laughs> maybe nfts and bitcoin will be our behind the paywall discussion okay fair 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 okay it's like a good weird topic okay to <laughs> fair enough i have some stuff i want to talk about really briefly with you but let's maybe you can explain nfts to me because i don't totally understand them but we'll get into it we'll get into it okay yeah, yeah. uh so getting back here basically susan uh was like um yeah we should just buy it and like there's a pause take a beat, move to the next chapter. And like, Eddie's like, oh yeah, sure. You know, like uh, how many deer skins you think you'd want? Maybe we can throw in some of this, <laughs> you know, so these souvenirs we've gathered. <laughs> and it's like, he's kind of making a point because like they haven't even been in Midworld for a while. They've just kind of been like out in weird uh, other places as they've passed from world to world. And it's not as though they have any kind of wealth at all. And Susanna is like, no, I got, I got tons of money. Right. <laughs> like my dad invented a special dental tool. And then like, she's kind of rude to them about it when. Yeah. And this snap is like mm-hmm. a moment where you kind of see that maybe Mia and Susanna um, are sort of in that like a B analog of Detta O Detta. Uh huh that we got previously mm-hmm. because like Roland even like is like oh I remember that face that's the face that snaps turtles and frogs and squishes them in their hands uh-huh uh-huh frog and, squeezing uh expression yeah yeah mm-hmm. and it's like ooh that's kind of scary yeah. and like her snap back at Eddie is so strong that like Eddie doesn't know how to react and like has to like well it's nasty it's totally yeah. out of character because she's like how would you know 
Like it wasn't just mean. It was also just like so unkind to Eddie. Yeah. Which is not in keeping with her character. And like you said, it's, it's definitely Mia kind of rearing her, her head, right. In the way that occasionally Detta would surface. And again, and it speaks to this sort of willful denial that, that Eddie is doing in this moment. Yeah, and then we also, during that sort of, like, flare-up, um, Susanna gets, like, a cramp, I guess? Um, baby mm-hmm. kick, maybe? Mm-hmm. Mm, something. Yeah. yeah, something. Something's happening. Something's happening. And, and, and uh, is that a spo- is baby kick a spoiler? Uh, no, I mean, we, I, don't, I don't think so. I think so. we know, right? Yeah, no, like, I, I think yeah, okay. we, we, she's talked about the chap. I think we're good. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Um, yeah, and so uh, during that moment, like, she, like, tries to play it off as as gas. Well, I don't know if she's trying to play it off. I, I kind of got the sense that Susanna genuinely Doesn't... thinks it's gas because it probably does. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because she seems totally unaware of what's happening. See, and that, the reason I brought that up, I wanted to actually ask you about it, because when she tried to play it off as gas, but we know from previous times that she knew she was pregnant. Um, well, she's not is Mia showing. Like, is Mia blocking that mental, you know, is this like her separating her own thing from herself? Well, question mark? I think some of it is she hasn't told Eddie, right? But I also yeah. think... I don't know that she doesn't think she's pregnant because I we've seen some stuff in the previous books where it wasn't explicit, but like her and Roland had those sort of exchanges of like, we got to talk about something and they kind of mm-hmm. both knew what the deal was. But I also think there she's very early in her pregnancy and perhaps what she's feeling physically is not in keeping with the expectation of where she would be in her pregnancy. Oh, okay. So she could be like, oh, this just must be gas. I don't know. I don't know. I, the reason I asked is because um, we have two Susannas here. We have one that just ate a bunch of, like, raw seafood. Yeah. I mean, that'll so, give like, you some gas. Maybe she's having, like, maybe it is just gas. Maybe she's experiencing, like, some sort of digestion issue because she just ate a bunch of fucking shit alive. Yeah, and so that that's actually what I, what I was kind of getting at is like, mm-hmm. is Mia blocking her from knowing that she's pregnant, or is she blocking her from knowing that um, she spent a night eating bones and shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Huh? And swimming through <laughs> having the swamp. a rough toilet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a rough toilet. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, oh, oh. Um, we we also get like the back history uh, from Susanna of her money. So um, her dad. Uh, felt guilty about the fact that s- she was pushed and lost her legs. And he shortly after that had a heart attack and basically gave business running over to um, her uncle, I guess. Um, I don't know if he's her real uncle or just a friend I of the family. Like, yeah, like a friend of the family that is like, okay. like an uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, was it Moses Carver? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, Mo basically manages the money and set up a trust fund for Susanna. And Susanna was left taking care of her father because her mother had passed away. And so there was this sort of guilt with Susanna and her father because she just couldn't take care of him. And she sort of blamed the heart attacks that he was having on the thing that happened to her. 
Mm-hmm. And so this sort of like uh, dichotomy of her guilt for her father and the accident sort of seems like it's pushing on the splitting of Susanna some more. You know, like this trauma from her childhood, multiple traumas actually mm-hmm. have led to to this person that we see today that can just like splinter off another part of themselves when something's going sideways. Uh, the other thing that we learned is, um, and I didn't actually do the math. Hopefully you didn't cause I'm bringing it up. Um, but like Susanna was like, yeah. And my trust fund ended when I turned 25 and now you can do the math and you know how old I am. I did and- not do the math. <laughs> Okay, and I didn't do the I math either. It occurred to me to do it, but I never got around to it. But I, yeah, I thought of it. I was like, oh yeah, Rachel's probably got this. I'll just <laughs> throw it at Rachel. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, yeah, I have no. Actually, now I'm curious. Oh, actually, I can probably look it up. Somebody else has done the math. Let's see here. Susanna <laughs> Dean age. So she's 26. See, I thought she was quite a bit older. Because of the hmm. way she's so weird about her age, like I thought she had to be forty. Basically, we talked about Mo, um, um, the trust fund. We've kind of figured out that Susanna's twenty six ish, but she's still sensitive about being in her late twenties for you know time frame from where she's from reasons. We also find out about Mo and his tightness with money, um, and. We get the real estate estimates. I think I mentioned already about the property and how much it would be worth. And then we also find out that Susanna basically has between, you know, eight and $10 million worth of money just like laying about, Mm -hmm. which is, is quite a bit, you know, (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, when she's concerned about her age and the subtraction statement, um, they basically, the guys just shrug it off as like, Time is, you know, a face on the water or whatever. And this is not in this section, but it's something I wanted to kind of touch on. One of the reveals we get a little bit later is that Roland believes he's been going for like a thousand thousand years. years. Yeah, this is actually a perfect place to talk about it because we get some actual information here, answers to questions that we've had a long time, which is how old is Roland and how long has he been questing? And we find out that number is over a thousand years. Okay. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is because I want to tie it back to a thing I forgot to mention a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. which was when they're talking about names, Roland is like, God, I'm old. Cause he's like, I should know this name. I should know this name. Why don't I know this name? And, and we, when we find out he's a thousand years, well, you know, you're going to not be as sharp after a thousand years. And then we also get from the guys that they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this was in the book. And then they get the book out of Jake's pack and like find out that the book that they saw in Jake in this Twitter world or whatever. Um, I think they gave him a number, right? J- Jake's 77. Does that sound right? Jake's 77. Yeah, that's the year he's yes. from. Yeah. Yeah, so Jake77's book doesn't match the one that current Jake has. Mm-hmm. Right? right well, it, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. And, and so so that that's like, I don't know. I, I was going somewhere with this. I had a really strong we'll thread, and then I just lost it. it we'll get there. And we, I bet it'll come back when we get to that last section. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's coming. But yeah, this this is actually one of the more important sections because we find out like we were talking about Susan's purpose that she actually has this money. We find out that we start getting our A and B plot, right? Like our A plot is in this book is going to be about 
even though Roland doesn't know about it yet, we know that it's going to be about whatever the group of people following them is going to lay out for them, right? But we get mm-hmm. our B plot, which is the larger story that I think is setting the place setting for the rest of the the books, right? Is that there's this multiverse heist that they're planning that's going to require them going to all these different places. But in order to do that, they're going to be able to, they're going to need to be able to find doors and know where those doors are going to end up, both where they're going to go and when they're going to go. All of which is, you know, essentially an impo- impossible task as, as Roland lays out that in the over a thousand years he's been questing for the tower, the only doors he's ever seen are the ones that he saw them come through and these, the, you know, essentially Todash, that the perception that the people in his content have about the way that the world works and the availability of these doors is totally skewed by, by the fact that they've been through them, right? Um, and it's interesting because we find out that Yes, Roland has been questing for a thousand years, or at least in terms of calendar dates. I don't know that it tells us he's actually a thousand years old, but obviously he's pretty freaking old. Um, Because the way that time works, he would like dip in and out and find out that like decades had gone by, which is really... Well, he refers to himself as like a bird who can fly past sections of time like it was land Mm -hmm. and then land and be this much further ahead we also because i mean uh, how big would the world have to be for him to be questing for a thousand years and not there yet i mean if you can cross the world in 80 days said said factual book yeah right (laughs) then uh, you know he's gone around the world a few times right exactly um um so there's one more thing on the time front and this was earlier too and i I wanted to come back to that since we're talking about time. There's a moment where Eddie is like, we weren't even moving at all. And now we're almost out of time. Right. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. I feel like that's King. That's actually like King talking, right? Like his, Mm -hmm. the way that his relationship to time has changed personally. Well, and it's also a good underline for the like way this, their, their journey works. It's like that time where they're just in the area crossing is is sort of timeless. And then when they get to a point where like something has to happen, it becomes like a rush to go through that section mm-hmm. and then back out again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it, 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 that's been underlined a few times mm-hmm. as they travel where like when something exciting's happened, time moves really fast. And when like nothing's happening, it, it crawls along mm-hmm. at a snail's pace. Yeah. Um. So then the other thing I wanted to talk about is Jake. Yeah. And his backstory, because yeah. um, this is also part of the money discussion. Um, so Jake is like, uh, you know, they, well, they're going to need cash, you know. Right. <laughs> this has got to be a cash deal. And he's like, you can't just bring a cashier's check from like 14 or 13 years ago mm-hmm. uh, to this. So if nothing else, we'll have to cash that, like put it in a duffel bags, hide it somewhere and get it and, you know, bring it out <laughs> accordingly during the, the time frame. And they're like, wait, how do you know this? And like Jake's internal dialogue is like, my my father might not have been, you know, a, a good guy or a gunslinger, uh, but he was definitely a executive and like mm-hmm. ha- had the skill of the kill. And like you, you basically he's like, I don't like to admit it or remember it, but I am still, you know, uh, uh, my father's son. Yeah. Yep. Which is like a moment where you're like, oh, yeah, Jake. And then also we get this moment with Roland and Jake Uh Uh where like both of them wince, but they're like, 
you know, uh, I never forgot that thing you said, Jake. There's other worlds than these. And Jake's like, yeah, when you push me off the Yeah, the Jake asshole. is still angry. He's still reactive. I think that there was there was like a degree there was like a period of time where he was just so grateful to be back and to be reconnected with Roland that it was easy to kind of brush under the rug that like, dude, this guy let him die. So it's kind of interesting that we're having this character moment where we find out that that resentment still exists that he's still pretty like instantly angry and reactive to it. Mm -hmm. And what makes that extra interesting is that they share Kef. So those feelings and that reaction that Jake is having, everybody can feel and know, which is awkward. (laughs) Yeah. And that circles back around to the thing I was saying at the beginning where you can kind of feel the gang drifting Mm -hmm. a little bit apart. That's a good point. Because this is like another moment where there's sort of a like, yeah, you crossed the line, buddy, and like I don't, I don't forget. Yeah, yeah. Jake never forgets. I mean that the fourth book and the sort of the bookends of the fourth book, where it's you know Topeka and then the castle, all that stuff is really about the the forging of those bonds and the tightening of those bonds, um, and really mm-hmm. coming together as a quartet. So you're right; it's interesting that we're starting the, these conversations and and the plot of this and we're starting to see those fissures crack open again or at least Mm -hmm. vulnerabilities if not actively cracking open we're seeing where the fissure lines are in these relationships the other thing to note here is um when roland is like explaining that these doors aren't as common as you think guys and just because you guys went through them doesn't mean that they're always around yeah uh Eddie's like, oh, I went through them twice. And, th- and then internally, he's like, and the second time, I got to see my brother's head roll along the ground. Yep. Yep. And like, there's some trauma mm-hmm. here. <laughs> yeah. And, and that one, the reason I brought it up is because, you know, in the past, Eddie's been haunted by his brother. And like, here's another moment where when everybody is sort of like in an emotional tension, his brother has popped up into the conversation mm-hmm. and kind of raised his ugly head <laughs> oh my god DJ. sorry i was working towards that the whole time oh my god are you sure you're not a dad because you're just humorous the other thing i want to point out here is um is basically what they're proposing is that they would have to point time like a gun yeah and like eddie in his mind is like i don't shoot with my hand i shoot with my mind uh-huh. you know and it's like a moment uh-huh. where you're like oh interesting gunslinger time travel uh-huh. got it uh-huh don't underestimate roland you don't know who and then just at that time like we realize roland is already aware and and the rest of this is another moment where roland's sort of ahead of the gang and in, in knowing his surroundings he senses that father callahan has like kind of rumbled into the clearing yeah and then everybody else senses it yep. mm-hmm. and that's a moment too where it's like okay wait a minute there is a disconnect between these folks right they should have been sharing his calf yes right mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. and so stephen king keeps basically underlying that like roland is off to the side and even these folks in general still have like schisms between them with Susanna and uh, Mia uh, creating sort of gaps in their connection that weren't there previously or weren't as noticeable in previous books. Um, And then, so yet father call he comes into the clearing and it's kind of funny because he's like, Oh, we were, we were super sneaky. You couldn't find us. And like, Roland's like, 
we knew you've been following us since you cut our trail. <laughs> and, and he's like, oh, I thought we were doing better than that. And Roland's like, come on, man. You wouldn't come talk to us if you, <laughs> if you didn't, need, didn't need someone sneakier than you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting that he, he does maybe think they're a little more in keeping with the you know, the big coffin hunters, right? He wasn't expecting them to be quite so clever, quite so on top of it. He, as much as he knows things about gunslingers, he's an outsider. He doesn't fully understand what it means to be a gunslinger, what the kind of, and caliber, haha, of person <laughs> that they are. Yeah. Yeah, and to that point, um, uh, Susanna gets a little uh, snippety and is like, what did you think? We were just a bunch of, you know, dum-dums, uh, cowboys that, you know, are out here riding around. And, like, first of all, we don't have any horses. And he's like, oh, I brought horses for you guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, like, at that moment, Roland's like, oh, I get it. This is actually – this is all coming together now. Like, mm-hmm. sit down, um, have some – have some woods tea there's a lot of subtle stuff here there's a lot of unspoken things where people are like really reading one another and coming Mm -hmm. to conclusions and some of it i think i really connected with it some of it i was like okay so obviously that's significant but i don't know totally know what you're saying here hopefully it will reveal itself um yeah and the other mention is um the book so uh he has father callahan has a book that he mentions to roland Mm -hmm. that's like uh, of sort of like a King Arthur-esque book, but it doesn't match anything he's ever read. And also we get a realization from Jake and Eddie uh, that that this guy is from, you know, close to their win. Yeah. And where. And like that is almost an exciting moment. And then as he's listing off the places that he's from, he's been in Detroit and Kansas City, I think, and the New York, and like, of course, we know uh, Father Callahan from Jerusalem's uh, lot. lot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Father Callahan of the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also mentions uh, that he was in a um, uh, uh, what is um, not a halfway house, um, uh, a uh, kind of shelter, uh-huh. taking care of people. Um, I don't remember uh that his backstory that I mean, well is that that's, part of that that's or it's not in it's not in salem's lot i think okay i don't remember is, that in there and it's like i, I think oh. for people who recognize the character and know how he ended up in the book like this is basically just giving you some information about where he's been since then like it's just a oh, okay, little backstory okay. um we don't know how he ended up in Culliburn sturges but we do know now at least that like after that he was sort of bouncing around after having sort of lost his faith okay mm-hmm. yeah i was that's why i was wondering because i i was like i don't remember anything about him working at a shelter no so i was like oh, okay maybe i'm just I'm not remembering at all mm. um so then there's this moment where he's like he uses a, a little bit of slang and like eddie and jake are like give it to me give me some more of that slang and right he's like, <laughs> he just like pops out a, a bunch of them that like i don't even recognize um, yeah it was th- about 50 50 th- i was like huh <laughs> yeah yep, i and i did not look them all up but like the the part here that's funny is that like jake and eddie are eating this up susanna could kind of care less and roland is like almost bored with their excitement right. over this guy's conversational skills mm-hmm. yeah and and roland just wants him to get to the point because like uh roland knows that this guy knows enough to ask gunslingers in a way that 
is traditional, I guess. Yeah. And like you can cast upon them, but you can't cast them out once you've uh, accepted or they've uh, you've accepted their help or they've accepted your help yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I'm again bouncing around a little bit. Is there any l- little things you want to underline? Um, I mean, uh, my first thought was just like, finally, this is the moment I've been waiting for since we met Callahan and he shamed the hell out of the cowards in town. I'm ready for him to meet our, our quartet. So that was kind of a cool moment. We also get the thing about his when he get his full name, the letters oh, equal yeah, nineteen name? Frank, and they equal nineteen, which is com- essentially confirmation that he is a part of this, at least in terms of Jake and Eddie and Susanna. Roland, of course, is still like piss on nineteen, like he's not buying it. But for them, it's confirmation that he's meant to be a part of it. And I think you pointed this out, how it highlights the potential divides in the content mm-hmm. even further, that he has this instant connection with Eddie, Jake, and Susanna because of their shared win, which only highlights how much Roland is an outsider in his own content and how in this next section, Roland's going to be like, oh, that's cute. Well, how do you like this? When he starts t- slipping into like high speech and ritual. Yeah. And so we kind of learned that um... – uh, to ask the gunslingers, there's a certain process. It's we learn that it's a three question thing. We learn that Roland um, has to, or the gunslinger has to judge them to be in the white, and that it's not a gift or a payment structure system. And in fact, that's almost rude to offer up some kind of gift to the gunslinger. Uh, and so basically, it, it sort of paints this like. Um, high speech version of lawman who like works for the community. Well, I would and... say a chivalrous knight almost. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. But when I think of knights, I always just think of like a land baron who has like some mercenaries. Yeah. I, well, I'm talking about like not actually how knights worked, but yeah, but yeah. the concept of like the chivalrous knight, right. That it's all about doing things, a quest for like a higher purpose. Like I, as opposed to a hard caliber who was someone who gets paid to do things like it's, yeah, that there's a holy quest and like a Mm -hmm. larger picture of what, you know, that the role of the gunslinger fills, that they're not just a gun for hire. They're, there are, yeah, they have like a higher purpose. Yeah. And, and so basically um, with this banter back and forth between Roland, uh, we find out a few things. Uh, one, that the uh, group of people that are following them uh, discovered the muffin balls and realized that some of them had been picked over, knowing that these guys had also been eating the same muffin balls. Uh, we also find out that um, those people that are with him still need a little bit of convincing and he asks, but Roland's like, listen, we deal in lead, man. We don't we don't convince no one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. And, right. That's that's not we're not here to sell ourselves and literally and, and like, you know, metaphorically. Yep. Yep. And then we also find out like he's like, um, well, I've got something for you. And Roland's like, I would expect that from those others, but not from you because you've read the book and you know how this is done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, he's like, Oh, sorry, sorry. And he, and he like, then we, we find out like he was a little bit eavesdroppy on their conversation. And he's like, Todesh. Yeah. And like, you were like, wait, what? And it's like, Oh yeah. I heard you guys talking about pointing a time, like a gun. And has it, has, has anything affected you? And, <laughs> And then, like, it turns out that he's got Black 13 under the floorboards of the church. Mm-hmm. 
He's never touched it, but it scares the crap out of him. And he's seen it from a distance and knows what it can do. And it's woken up as these guys have gotten closer to town and even reaching out to them as they're uh, still even pretty far out from the town. Uh, and Roland didn't want it as a gift, but now this like kind of actually checks the boxes like, um, but would you be, af- are you afraid of this? And he's like, yeah, he's like, well then maybe we can take it off your hands, not as a gift, but as like a, a helping thing that right we're doing like he's you. like you're not gonna bribe me with this but and you know what you're full i think he calls him out on his bullshit right like yeah he's trying to say like i'll give you this thing when he's like no 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 you want us to take this thing like this is not leverage that you have and i'm offended that you're even trying to buy my services yeah roland is uh he's pretty grumpy in this section i would say he is not impressed by the things that callahan has to say and he's mad because he has the book so he should know better i really liked this section because i thought it was interesting to see roland go into eld tradition roland you know we saw this at uh river crossing a little bit but we're seeing another like we saw kind of the sort of I don't know what you would describe sort of like how he came in there sort of like a spiritual figure here. We're seeing another way that these gunslingers function as um, sort of agents of the white and how the, the tradition and the ritual works around that. Like the three questions, like, are you coming to us for aid and sucker? We haven't heard the other three questions yet, which I'm, I'm guessing we're going to get pretty soon, but mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting just from a world building perspective and a greater understanding of the gunslinger to see how these kind of things function. What I love here is the way that his language changes in this moment and Mm -hmm. that it is very ritualistic and almost like he's almost like religious icon Roland, which is fun though. In his case, he deals not in grace, but in lead, which is super badass. actually like all that stuff about dealing in lead is so cool. And it's a, it's sort of the reverse of what we got earlier where they were using all the slang from our, you know, or from Eddie and Jake's level of the tower. Now mm-hmm. Callahan is having this kind of connection to Roland where, you know, he's able to speak to him in ways that even though they feel it's power, Jake, Eddie and Susanna are not familiar with. And so they become the outsiders in this conversation, which is it's, but again, it's it's even though now Roland is the in and they're the out, they're still not on the same side of that line, which I think is is interesting. And and as this is happening, Eddie has this this revelation that they are essentially gunslingers. We have been talking about them in terms of them being gunslingers ever since book three, but mm-hmm. this is where they finally have caught on to like, oh shit, we are gunslingers as well. And we get insight into how Eddie feels and his feeling is resentment because he did not consent to becoming a gunslinger, but here he is and he's about to be put on this quest that he did not sign up for. Yes, he has tower fever, but now all of a sudden he's being drafted into whatever it is that Callahan has come to him out of obligation because he is a gunslinger. And Jake, on the other hand, is enthusiastic and ready to go on adventure. And that kind of like concern. Any statement is something like uh, uh, dumb kids going to war. Yes. The only person we don't find out about is Susanna, who is increasingly becoming opaque to us in this book. And here we don't have any idea how she feels about having been drafted into like the gunslinger ranks. Yeah. And there's a moment, too, where uh, when when uh, Roland is using his high speech, and he's like, uh, uh, we roll around and we do these things and we are gunslingers. And Callahan is like, all of you? Question mark. Uh-huh. 
And Roland is like, yes. Yeah, right. He claims them at, like verbally as gunslingers. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and so uh, basically we, we get all these reveals and then Callahan's like, all right, let me go f- fetch my friends. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he leaves, Roland is like, get over here, guys. Huddle in, huddle in. Come on. And they're like, okay, well, what? Is he honest? And like... Eddie's like, yeah, I think he's honest. And Jake is like, yeah, he's honest. And and uh, um, Susanna's like, yeah, he's honest. And then there's a moment where they're like, they like stop and they're like, but I forgot what it was. What I just lost it. They stop him and one of them says something about um, he's honest, but. But Eddie stops and shows them as he writes down their names in the, in the or writes down his name in the dirt that it's Callahan and he's from the Kala. And so they're, they're trying to decide if it's coincidence or if it actually has significance. Uh, okay. Okay. That was the part that was escaping me. Yes. Teamwork, babe. Um, so then they glance at the copy of Charlie Choo Choo one more time. And they're like, they're, they're looking at the author's name and they're all like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and then they look at the copyright. Um, and it's 19, 19- 40 something 1939 um, oh 1939 which adds yeah. up to 19 ding 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 ding, ding. <laughs> uh okay so this section uh i actually want to go back out slightly to talk about black 13 uh, th- i just wanted to point out how much i love the description of it because you it's when he describes it as black 13 has, uh, you know has come alive it's so creepy. Like, I really do think that King wants to and is successful in letting us know just how dangerous this thing is with just something as simple as Callahan's behavior and the the choice of alive. And in this moment is when I think Mia starts really experiencing some twinges of pain from. Uh, okay. And, and I wanted to know. From the quote unquote gas. Yes, and I'm wondering if it's if it's a response to talking about Black Thirteen or knowing that the the proximity to Black Thirteen is that's a coincidence, or if it's just King reminding us of the various threats that have been laid out. Because Mia amongst this group is really just like a a sort of a festering sort of thing that's happening. It's like building tension around this. And it's this constantly hanging sort of like psychological Damocles that's hanging over mm-hmm. them. And so I don't know if those two things are connected or if it's just like be like, by the way, you there's several ticking time bombs right now. Don't forget about this one in this in in this moment. So we don't really uh, we don't know yet what Black 13 does. It's been mentioned previously, Except for but it allows it's you go toe dash for sure. Yeah, yeah, now we know it does toe dash, uh-huh. but like then it's like among other things. And when Callahan says you can point time like a gun, like so then that means maybe this can also allow you to pick m- m- wins and wears. I'm guessing that's and- exact. Like this is going to allow you to toe dash how you want to toe dash. Mhm. But the question is, so all of the balls have different powers and they connect to different emotions. What do you... What evil thing it's does gotta this one be do like to you? It's got to be like hate or something like that, right? The other thing, it's black. And I was thinking about the space between uh, Midworld and New York and how they're in that area that has like those creatures that look like underwater monsters, like a giant anglerfish and shit. 
is what's inside that ball, that space that they're going to. Is that why it's so evil and dangerous is because it actually contains that space. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I'm like fully tinfoil hatting out. But I was just thinking, I found myself thinking a lot about Back Black 13 and trying to understand how it works because... Like, there's a whole thing about going into the ball with the pink ball, right? So what happens when you yeah. go into this ball? Is that I think you beat me, uh, beat me to this punch because I did not think about it at all. <laughs> I, like, I mostly thought about, like, J- Jake's – there's a moment where when when Callahan's, like, kind of kind of hinting at stuff and Jake's like, wait, I get it. Which one do you have? It can't be the pink one because mm-hmm. that one takes you inside. It doesn't take you out to somewhere. And, like – Call in like Black 13 and Jake's like, yeah, woo. yeah, <laughs> check this thing out. And I didn't think about it, but you're right. Like that one had the power to drag you in. Mm-hmm. This one moves you around. But like, mm-hmm. what's it do to you when you it moves you? I don't know. I, th- I mean, yeah, I think it's an important it, uh, there's an important detail here that Colin says he has not touched the ball because you remember what yeah. happens when people touch the pink ball. Oh yeah. So yeah. presumably it that means it's you, not under you. he's not under its sway, which I think is an important thing in terms of whether or not we can trust Callahan. There is one other phrase that is used in this that um mm-hmm. is not elaborated on, but is an interesting thing. Roland refers to people who are like the bad guys that are not a part of the white as beam breakers. Yeah. So that's just an interesting new phrase that I think is worth noting. And finally, we got to talk about the book changing. And to me, I think essentially the book changing with with the, the author's name disappearing is that it really underscores the reality of the stakes of this problem. That the that what they saw, there's all these multiverses, all these timelines, but that that what happened, them going there changed something. Kind of like mm-hmm. you know, like when you go through time travel and you butterfly effect. Like they have <laughs> this butterfly. Is the back to the future moment where like, oh no, now the my picture's mom disappearing, and dad right? Me. Did you think about the picture disappearing? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's kind of like that. So something changed when they went to Todash, and what they saw and those stakes that they're assuming to be uh high, they are. And here is in front of your eyes, if you need the proof in front of your face. You can see that here with this this book changing, that these worlds are different, but they are connected. And it's almost like instead of there being side by side realities, branching. And maybe Mm -hmm. they have adjusted a branch here. And finally, my last thing I want to talk about is, again, Roland is like super butthurt anytime 19 comes up. He is increasingly aggressive about dismissing it. And there's he is. A lot of his internal dialogue in terms of Susanna and Eddie and watching what's happening unfolding there is about willful denial and choosing not to see what you don't want to see. And I, I, as he got more and more pushback harder and harder against this, I started to wonder if what we're seeing is here is something similar with him where he is becoming dismissive and aggressive because he does not want to see something or he is trying to avoid seeing something that this is his willful denial I don't know. Um, it, but it, it to me, it feels a little bit like what's happening with Eddie and Susanna and Mia. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, math checks out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad I got one of the math problems right. <laughs> <laughs> don't even have to Google that one. It's just like, yeah, yeah, perfect. That makes sense to me. Um, oh, so what do you think see. overall? What do you think of this chapter? I thought it was so. It's really good because it's a bunch of stuff that i wanted to know about yeah 
that is like set up in a knock this over domino section. But as you know, I have a little trouble with the less action-y sections mm-hmm. just because I have a hard time keeping them separate in my mind. And this one was particularly difficult just because they dropped so many important things yeah. that we have to discuss. And even now, after we've gone through all 10 of these sections, I still feel like there's probably three or four other things that I could have oh, yeah. gone we, deeper we into and I just yeah. skipped over or forgot. We could have easily turned this into like a three-hour podcast because this thing is just so dense with information. But Yeah, I feel like this chapter is like, if you ever see a <laughs> a crazy montage in a movie where like the guy gets the the sticker board and then like puts a face in the middle and yes drawing strings out to all of the other things yes like you could actually sit for a couple hours with the information you gather from this and just make a line chart (laughs) go from thing to thing to thing to thing to connect all of these Mm -hmm. bits and bobs together in a way that like you would really need to do research on each of the individual tiny bits to you know everything from names to history to uh um the city of new york itself it's there's a lot in here yeah i feel like everything that came before this chapter is just like rolling taking or king taking a deep breath and be like okay here it is <laughs> you know what i mean and then he just because he he just lays out so much information in this chapter we get answers to questions we've had for books and books we get world building we get two we get a and b plot laid out in front of us we get a new understanding of the gunslinger code like it's it's wild how much is in this chapter like i think king had figured something out and was like okay i just need to like put this all together and like get on this trajectory because here we go we're we're done we're we're moving forward we are on blaine the mono and we are at rapid pace towards a goal that he has set out and i think you can really feel it in this book that he just wants to get going so he's not going to meander he's not going to pepper information throughout the book he just like slammed his hand down on the table like here's what's going on and on one hand i think that's really really fascinating but on the other like i feel a pace that i feel conflicted about because on one hand, mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, let's go. Let's do this. But on the other hand, it means saying goodbye to a particular style of storytelling that he has had up until this point where it is very sort of like amorphous in terms and and mysterious. And now he's being very definitive. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I really like this chapter also because of all of the um, interpersonal stuff, all the psychological stuff, all the character stuff really connected with me. And it was satisfying to get some answers. Um, I'm glad that we have kind of the two groups that we've been introduced starting to meet and getting ready to like really intermingle. I think a multiverse heist was a plot twist that I did not remember and and, and was delighted to discover. Um, so yeah, I think overall, I thought this was, if not the most exciting chapter, certainly an incredibly important one. Yeah, and the first time we've, like, really dove into finance with the group. Yeah, it was also the Phantom Menace episode chapter <laughs> a little bit. We're going to be talking about trade federations and shit in any, any time now. Uh, awesome. Okay, cool. So as far as Stephen King universe connections, obviously we got confirmation that Father Callahan is Father Donald Frank Callahan from Salem's Lot. I can't remember how much we get into his backstory in the text of this book. So I don't want to do it now. I think if we get a little bit further into the book and it's still not happening, I will give that breakdown just because I do think it's really important in terms of understanding his character, like his sort of traumatic um, 
and spiritual crisis uh, is mm-hmm. really, really important to who he is, but I can't remember how much of it is text. So yeah, we'll circle back to that, but just know that is like the main connection from this section. We don't really have any Stephen King news. There is a Salem Salt movie coming and some information is starting to come out about that. And I think, but I think we'll save a lot of that for the extended, I think we'll definitely cover that in a future extended Patreon section or maybe even an uh bonus episode but we'll we should talk strategy about that after the paywall i think um but just know that that's a potential upcoming patron exclusive um yeah i think that's probably that's probably it for that uh we don't have any listener feedback or questions this time from email but we did as we always do put a question on our Facebook group. And also, you know, we asked it last time. So if you are not in the Facebook group, although you should, because it's awesome, you know what we're going to be talking about. So let's, let's get into our discussion with the listeners. So um, last time there was a whole backstory. I'm not going to go into it. It had to do with documentaries. We asked the question of which non main character would you like to see a documentary about? Like if they were going to do a, whole like biography documentary about someone like sort of a behind the music style documentary about someone in the books that is not one of the main members of the content who would it be and why do you want to go first Deej or do you should we get I'm all you go first why I chew on that one damn it that's what I was gonna do (laughs) why don't this why don't this time we go ahead and start with our listeners so the first person to weigh in was Damien and they said I really want to see the TikTok man Maybe uh, he's actually the TikTok man and Lud went into disaster because he missed some deadline because he was watching TikTok. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there, Damien. <laughs> uh, would you want to watch a TikTok documentary? Uh, maybe, like, as long as the actual TikTok's not involved because that's just bad green screen, guys. It's just bad green screen with, like, some weirdness in the background. We have enough of that in our normal everyday conference call life. What if it was a, a documentary about TikTok? Then it was like a regular style documentary, but it was broken up over a series of TikToks. <laughs> Would you watch it then? <laughs> maybe. Is it vertical or is it horizontal? Ooh, maybe it's like the Quibi model where you could turn it either way. Quibi. You remember Quibi? <laughs> For a hot minute, we are gonna make a lot of money, I promise. And then it just like yeah. fail, it's fail. Like... Okay, so enough TikTok. Let's talk about what Sheldon had to say. Sheldon suggests Eldred Jonas. And I am I, even with on without reading on, I am already in agreement with him. Uh, a failed mm-hmm. gunslinger would have some interesting life stories to tell. And I a hundred percent agree, and I would add to that also. We'd also we'd get a bunch of Manny stuff in the process as well. We'd get Gilead and like failing out of Gilead and seeing Court's father, like all that backstory would be in it. Plus, we'd mm-hmm. see whatever was happening out in the wastelands when he was like off being a gunslinger, and we get the Manny stuff. Like that is a great, great answer. Um, it could even be like a tragic story of like this budding gunslinger who like dies unceremoniously. <laughs> uh, at the hands of an upstart gunslinger like that's a great story so i'm gonna i'm gonna just cheat and steal his answer that's my answer <laughs> all right so gerald says bango skank which is great we i feel like we just ra- uh, referenced them um my wild pet theory is that he is walter's son whoa whoa Ooh. i thought i had a tinfoil hat 
Uh, gotta start tagging at the banger skate in some odd level of the tower. I love graffiti. And it'd be fun to know about the great lost character. Patrick Danville for my runner up, unless he was content. And where's Van A when you need him? Mm-hmm. What do you think about That's him? some deep dive stuff there. I mean, I feel like you could do whatever you want with a bango skank. So that could be really yeah, interesting. Yeah, because he's such a an easy, empty slate to just write whatever you want on. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have any rails. Yeah, no, you could do. I mean, yeah, you could. He could be. I actually feel like Bango Skank should be the documentary yen. Oh, like a um, sort of like first person perspective of everything that's going on yes. as he's like just wandering around in the background yes. doing graffiti. Yes, exactly. Like all the shit that as he's like wandering the multiverse, like Manny style, and he's tagging all these places that he goes, like the shit that he witnesses. Like he happens, maybe he's like one of those people that's just like cosmically always where the action is and like his sort of perspective would be interesting Mm. Mm. all right so john says and i think this is a really interesting answer too john says the crimson king what do we oh spoilers spoiler alert there are some spoilers Mm. here for the crimson king that yeah that's our spoiler safe word this week (laughs) so it has (laughs) been given consider yourself warned all right the crimson king what do we really know about him other than he is from the line of arthur eld and mad he was was he born mad or was there an event in his life that drove him to be mad these are these and other questions are ones we need answers to John, you are correct, sir. He is one of the most <laughs> mysterious characters in the entire Stephen King universe, and I demand answers. I mean, Stephen King's last book, and then he croaks, is just like <laughs> a, a Crimson King book. <laughs> he kicks out the door. He's like, it was me all along. <laughs> oh, no. He pulls off his no. face, and it's just the Crimson King underneath. <laughs> uh, okay, David says... My person is somewhat spoilery, so caca, caca, spoiler alert, caca, since he hasn't been introduced yet, but he will be soon. John Cullum is my favorite side character from any King book, not just The Dark Tower. The story of a simple handyman who starts and heads one of the largest corporations in the world, all while secretly subverting Sombra Corps, tries to, uh, at, uh, all, subverting all that Sombra Corps tries to do. His story is amazing. Yeah, hmm. I can get yeah. down with that. And to be honest, I don't remember him. So I'm excited to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And finally, our boy, Tim. Tim, I have to warn you. Tim's got jokes. Here we go. Uh, Tim would like a documentary about the pack of Billy Bumblers that ejected Oi. I want to verify <laughs> Roland's theory as to why they did it and wh- and want to publicly shame them. Then thank them. Since the ejection resulted in his appearance in the series. I feel like this would be like a homeward bound story of some kind. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like, or like we could get a very like March of the penguins. Yeah. Uh uh Like with some, it's just a narration. Like some penguins aren't part of the group. So who do we want to narrate this, this, I mean, Morgan Freeman, obviously, okay, right? Fair, yeah. fair. I guess you're right. Yeah, that is, there, there is one correct answer, and it is Morgan Freeman. Who's the March of the Bumblers as they fall and stand back up again and fall? Who is? Because they're bumblers. <laughs> Who's the worst person to um, narrate that one? Oh, uh, Gilbert. Godfrey, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Have you ever seen that video of like Gilbert Godfrey reads Fifty Shades of Grey? 
No, but I mean, I love Gilbert Godfrey yeah. and his delivery is so bad. Like, I like it, but I know no one else does. And so I'm always alone in my I like, like Gilbert Godfrey. I think he's funny. I'm into him. I need to go watch the doc. He has a documentary about himself. Oh, gosh. All right. So did you come up with your answer since I rudely stole someone else's? Yeah. As I was thinking about all these things that are mentioned, you know, one of the characters that we get enough of a set of rails to make him cool but also not enough information to ever really pin him down is lord perth and mm. like you the misunderstood you lord perth i like it yeah you you get it the only window you get into him is like dead in this plane like and you're like well how did he this is like this guy was around when like things had gone sideways and he he managed to get a plane out and about yeah and, and doing stuff like what led to that like what was going on in his town and like what war was he fighting that yeah. this is like what happened and how it ended and it's gonna be a tragedy because like he's dead so yeah you know but but like what tragedy and like to what end and like does how does that relate to everybody that now lives in the city and like mm -hmm. the warning alarms and like everything else and that would be a great way to shed some light on the statuettes that are around blaine's entryway um so we could actually finally find out what all that's about i like it yeah i that's a great one absolutely i like the idea of you know whenever there's like a historical figure that you think you know because of like the mythology around them and then you find out the reality of them i feel like he is ripe for that kind of treatment like you know the what you're wrong about kind of treatment of lord Per. it's gonna be the next braveheart <laughs> exactly all right, cool. Well, that was great. Thank you, everybody that answered the question. I always love getting your insights. I know I say that every time, but I mean it every time. Uh, so we're going to do it again this time because in this chapter, we are introduced to our B, or I guess B plot, our larger overarching plot, which is this sort of heist story. It made me wonder what your favorite heist stories are from other literature or media, like if it's a movie, whatever the case may be. Like, what's the best heist story? Or one that maybe is under the radar that you would like to recommend. Like, nobody ever talks about it, but this heist is rad. Let us know. Uh, do you have a heist one? Don't You don't have to answer now, but do anything come to mind for you when I just asked it? I'm going to have to do some research on this one. Okay. I know of a really good heist, but I don't remember what book series it is. Is it thin? Okay. And it has to do with a guy selling... I think maple syrup to aliens. Oh my God. I can't wait. All right. So everybody, it's super weird. Everybody think you got to get in the heist mind. Okay. So we got to know what your favorite heist is. All right. So plan for the next episode. We are going to be reading chapter five over Holzer. So dun, dun, it's a nice dun. short one too. So hopefully, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully there'll be some action for you. Cool. So for those of you in the audience that would like to get in touch with us, there are lots of ways that you can do that. We'd love to hear from you. You can answer that heist question in email or you can do it on the Facebook group, however you would like. You can reach us at castofcaw at zombiegirls, that's G-R-R-L-Z dot com. Or you can come chat with us on the Facebook group. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ZG Podcast and hit slide into the DMs there. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. If you're listening on Spotify, I don't know if you know this, but they have now rolled out star ratings. So if you love us and you're listening to us on Spotify, please do us a big favor and uh, give us a nice review, uh, star rating there. 
If you're looking for something spooky to watch, if you're a horror fan, you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar on the Zombie Girls website where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on video on demand as well as on the billion T streaming services out there. And if you want to start off the new year, new you, new look, all that jazz, check out our merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And if you love us, like really, really love us and want to support us and would like to get some more exclusive patron content or hang out with us on our exclusive patron uh, discord, you can do so by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls. We have some really, really cool things planned for 2022. We've got a bunch of live shows coming up. Uh, DJ and I are going to game plan some other really cool things that are cast of call exclude like specific bonus content this year something we're gonna be talking about in the extended episode today so there's a little teaser for you what i didn't even know yep get ready <laughs> i mean we're just gonna brainstorm a little bit um and then uh last but not least 2022 brand new year i want to take a moment to thank all the patrons that have been through with this for our, through our first year on patreon it was an experiment we really didn't know what we were doing we learned a lot of important lessons along the way um but you stuck with us you supported us and I can't tell you how much that genuinely means to us that you enjoy the things, this silly podcast that we're like putting out into the universe because we love to do it, that you guys love it too. Uh, every, each and every one of you has a piece of my heart. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I cannot wait to like make it even more worth that <laughs> subscription in 2022. All right, DJ on that note, um, where, if people want more of you in the meantime, where can they find you on the internet? I mean, I think you can just swing over to, I think it still exists, deadlander.com. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Check out that. Um, Matt is brainstorming some sort of YouTube channel thing, yeah. so stay tuned for that. Um, I'm actually writing theme songs for him right now. Are you? That's um, so exciting. So I don't know what that's going to entail. Have you been and working then... on mine and, uh, and Jeff's yet? Oh, no. Uh, no one's asked me to. Uh, should I be working on a theme yeah, song? Yeah, we're going to do something called The Weirder the Better, and we're going to just we're going to talk about weird movies. So like, I'm thinking like you got that new theremin, maybe something theremin. -y. <laughs> yeah. Uh, send me uh, some ideas and I will work on them and send them back your direction. Yeah, no problem. That's exciting. Um, That's it. Uh, occasionally uh, stuff on Etsy. Although I I've been informed by my tax guy that as of this year, I will have to pay taxes on in anything uh, Etsy or uh, reverb related. So, R.I.P. Muffin Spank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. Muffin Spank, because that's an extra hassle I don't want to have to deal with. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it right now uh, until I start the next chapter of my life doing some other weird thing. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Well, you can find me, as usual, on the Zombie Girls Horror Podcast, where we review horror films from a feminist perspective. You can find me on Stream Queens, where we review horror films that are on streaming. You can find me on uh, More Deadly, where we review horror films that are directed by women. And you can find me on the Untitled Nick Cage Show, where we are going through the amazing back catalog of one national treasure, Nicolas Cage. Guy says yes to everything. Yes. I mean, I, I identify. <laughs> So, and then also this month, we are doing a special Scream retrospective on Here's Johnny. Myself and Mars, who is my co-host on the Stream Queens, are going through all of the Scream movies with them and uh, bumming the super fan out because <laughs> uh, we have a more critical take, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. It's But it's a lot of fun. So you should definitely check out and subscribe to Here's Johnny as well. Um, and I don't know if we have anything specifically going on with Bloody Good Horror anytime soon 
but you should subscribe to them anyway because they're awesome and we do pop up on there occasionally um when they when we can talk them into letting us come on (laughs) (laughs) anyway enough of that uh that's all the places you can find me on the internet for now until uh, this youtube channel thing network rolls out i can't wait for that that's gonna be a lot of fun pj unless people are sticking around for the extended episode that is it for us so take us out well, today I'll just take you out with some nutritional advice, guys. Uh, if you find some frogs, make sure that you take your tums before you eat them because apparently they cause gas. And that is all. Good night. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening and to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode, which is going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge today because we don't have anything specific that we're focused on. There's no main theme. Mostly it's going to be a little bit of housekeeping, but, you know, your patrons, you get to see behind the curtains, so you're going to get to see how how, uh, professionally things are done around here as we just sort of shoot out some ideas off the top of our head of things that we want to do this year, but... Um, as well as DJ is going to educate me on NFTs because I don't understand them because apparently I am not chronologically but spiritually a boomer. <laughs> so <laughs> spoiler, it's just a, it's a scam to separate suckers from their money. Right? Yeah, I know there's like this whole like uh, people who are like pro NFT movements and like are like it like there's a weird elitism around it like if you copy something from the internet they're just like oh you're trash because it's not an nft and blah 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 blah. like there's that what is the what do they call people what do nft people people who are into nfts what do they call people who still just like take things from the internet right clickers yeah okay that's actually a good one uh right clicker that's funny yes so okay we i know we're gonna do some brainstorming stuff but first let's talk about explain okay tell me like i'm five what the fuck are nfts okay well first you got to start with the blockchain so do you know what the blockchain is i know that it has something to do with bitcoin okay (laughs) so um 